Hey, Pluckies. I wanted to give a little shout out to my production team here on the Plucking Up podcast, Human Group Media. In addition to being a social impact company themselves, they are behind some webby winning and chart topping podcasts that I think you all might like. They produce shows like That Feminist Fire, a narrative podcast about gender and justice, Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter, and Forces for Good, which talks about how businesses can help solve some of the most pressing social and environmental issues of our time. Their network of shows cover mental health and climate change and human rights and so much more. You can head over to Human Group Media or just type in Human Group Media on your favorite podcast app to start listening. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups. Our guests share their sometimes never-before-told mistakes, rejections, wrong turns, and the more difficult seasons of their lives and careers. But they're also sharing with us how they moved on and up and through to keep creating and inspiring others to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your lucky and plucky host, Liz Bohannon. Hey, everybody. If you are a listener of the Plucking Up podcast, you may know that I often ask our guests a question towards the front end of the conversation of like, hey, level set with us. If if you were at a cocktail party and you had 10 seconds to kind of explain, hey, here's who I am and here's where I'm at at this season in my life, what would you say? And more often than not, I find that people answer that with their vocational status, maybe something about their career or a big project that they're working on, or maybe occasionally something about their personal life or their family. But our guest today, Zainab Salbi, I think was our first guest to ever simply introduce herself by describing her emotional and spiritual state instead. Like, where am I at? Here's where I'm at emotionally and spiritually. (laughs) And from that moment on, I knew this was going to be a good conversation. As the co-founder of Women for Women International, Zainab has helped nearly a half a million women from war-torn countries. She now works with women to solve climate change issues through Daughters of Earth. And Zainab talks about her journey of, you know, low-key escaping Saddam Hussein's Iraq and the process of rebuilding a life of purpose and passion and impact here in America. She opened up about a near-death experience and how it really changed her perspective on life and self-love. As a social entrepreneur myself, it was just really inspirational to learn from someone who started a purpose-driven organization at the very tender age of 23 and to just learn about her journey and how she is still at it, a sustainable leader, if you will, who is still building a beautiful life of purpose and passion and impact. She promised that in this conversation, this is what she said. She said, I'm going to speak the truth, tell the truth, and be my truth. And that's what we got. That's what we got. And I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really, really excited to learn more about your journey. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you here. And thanks for having me. And I'll promise one thing is I'll tell you, I'll tell it all (laughs) and tell it truthfully. (laughs) Nothing to, I live by my mission statement in life is to speak the truth, tell the truth, be my truth. It's the Mm. only thing I can find my liberation. Mm. Well, I really look forward to this conversation then. Thank you for setting us up. So will you start out by telling our listeners just kind of like the 30 second, where are you today? Not geographically necessarily, but what is your life look like and what makes up your hours that make up your day that make up your life right now? Oh, that sounds like a simple question, but it's not (laughs) at all, at all, actually. I would say I'm in a good phase of my life, emotionally speaking. I've done Mm. a lot of work Mm. on myself and confronted my demons and my shadows Mm. and wrote my last book on it. And I'm in a good stage when I say is knowing 
part of me feels like I broke through the chains of fear and shame mm. and worries and all of these things. And when aspects of my personality that I do not like comes back, which it always does, <laughs> no one is an angel, definitely I'm not, you know, and it's like, oh, here it comes again. Mm. Uh, I used to be paralyzed by it and I used to be scared mm. by it. And now I'm just like, here it comes again. Mm. I work on it. I, I work with a Jungian analyst. I, I am a big believer in working on myself. Mm. And I was like, here, here it comes again. And mm. now I'm kinder to myself when it comes, you know, mm. the shadow part of the self. So I'm, I'm more accepting of not, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be in control over the shadow aspects of myself. And that includes my failure or my personality traits that I do not like very much. So I'm kinder. I'm kinder to myself, I would say, at this stage of my life. Wow. I'm not totally sure when I've asked that question that we've ever had a guest who, when being asked to describe, like, because I, I do like to leave it a little bit open to interpretation. And I would say 90% of the time folks answer that question with vocationally. Like, what do I do? Mm. What's my work? What's my position? What's my role? Mm. And so the fact that you just took us straight to your mental and emotional and spiritual wellness and kind of how you're defining that season, I think this is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> I'm really excited. And I, to... I got to tell you, I mean, I, of course, I'm excited. I just came from a very busy work on and when I'm most excited about right now, which is Daughters for Earth. But I find myself and I find a lot of people around me defining constantly, right, ourselves by what we do. Yeah. And that there are points in my life, most notably three and a half years ago, where I almost died and I was paralyzed for a year and a half, not physically, oh, but mentally, physically, everything wow. paralyzed for a year and a half yeah. where I could not do anything. And I had to confront the idea like, oh, my God, who am I if I am yeah. not the activist and I'm not the writer and I'm not the humanitarian like, who, and I'm not the journalist, then who am I? And if I can't think and I can't communicate mm. and it was a reckoning of myself. And out of that year and a half, I came out of a saying, you know, when we have this attachment to who we are, these things always gets away from us one day or the yeah. other because we are forced for health reason, as in my case, or we retire or whatever it happens, right? Yeah. And so I needed to find myself outside of my vocation. Mm. And it gave me a comfort in my identity. This is my my passion. I I'm a women's rights activist at heart and I shall die trying. You know, and I started with women in wars and now I work with women in climate change through Daughters for Earth, the, the group that I co-founded. And I will always, always fight for women's rights and women to get more resources and more voices and more uh, positions of leadership. But when the reckoning moment happened, when I almost mm. died, when I had that intimate moment between me and my heart, I wasn't asking who am I? in terms of my vocation. Mm -hmm. I was asking myself the question that came, did I live my life in kindness to myself mm -hmm. and to others? Mm -hmm. Did I live my life in love to myself and to others? And I had, as an activist, mobilized millions of women, helped directly half a million women, sent them, you know, mobilized $146 million for them, led a huge organization, created major shows, and impacted so many. That was not... That was not what came when I thought I was wow. about to die, right? But I, what came is, did I live my life in kindness and in love to myself and to others? So I asked you this question, I answered it this way because, you know, I came to, I am, if, you know, I am, right? And after that, my vocation happened because I need to be comfortable with who I am. And my vocation, my passion, my dedication in life is a blessing, it's a privilege it's truly blessing to have it, to have that clarity. You know, I don't think it's easy uh, for people to have that clarity always. So I feel I'm mm -hmm. lucky or blessed to have it, mm -hmm. but it also doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it's part of who I am. It's part of who I am, my mission in life, but doesn't define fully who I am. Yeah. So when you asked yourself that question of, did I live my life in service of love of myself and love of my neighbor, did in kindness 
How did you answer that question? I had lived it in kindness and in love to the larger others, mm-hmm. right? I, I founded mm-hmm. Women from International when I was 23 years old. Wow. I And it started from mom and pop to an organization that has 700 staff members, helped directly half a million women, connected them with another half a million women in 68 countries, etc. I had lived it to the larger others in kindness and love. I put myself in conflict areas, Afghanistan, Congo, da, da. that's kindness and absolute love to the larger others. Sure. But it was not, it did not translate to kindness towards myself. Mm. or kindness and love towards the others who are immediately in front of me. Okay. You know, sometimes it's my family, my loved ones, and the others like that, right? So it was the larger others was easier to implement. The immediate others, but mostly me, you know, yeah. it was very hard to implement and I had to learn it. You know, I mean, of course, we are kinder to others in front of us even, but it's, we are the hardest. At least I was the hardest, yeah. very cruel on myself, mm. you know? And so not, not cruel, but hard on myself, asking, yeah. demanding more and more and more. Obviously, yeah. that translates to the people who are in front of you. And the people who are far away from you, they're seeing you once in a blue moon. <laughs> so the, all that they know is this, you're a wonderful woman who's leading to a lot of resources and loving them and remembering them is all good. Totally. But doesn't mean it was kindness for myself. Ooh, that is so good and so rich. Kind of this disparity between the world and then ourselves and kind of asking ourselves, And the people that love us the most and that are in relationship, like, hey, is the way that I am showing up in the broader world, do you see that in our relation? Am I bringing those same qualities into these, you know, quiet, secret places, whether that's your close community, your family, or even the most secret place of yourself? That's a powerful question to ask. I'm curious, and we'll circle back to kind of, I'd love to hear just more of your journey and launching this global organization as a sprightly 23-year-old. But if you could go back, having had this kind of near-death experience, well, first of all, are you open to telling us more about that experience of kind of like what happened? Some doctors, they think it's an unknown viral infection. There was a quarter of a gallon of liquid pressing on the soft part of my heart, and I literally was about to die. Um, And I did almost die in that minute. And it as I said, um, some say it's Lyme disease, some say it's unknown, no one knows. I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm grateful I'm okay and I got out of it, you know, and probably it was a severe case of Lyme or other ticks um, that wow. really took a toll on me, yeah. And so there was like an acute moment where doctors thought you were gonna die and then it sounds like a year and a half of recovery where you weren't able mm-hmm. to engage work you were just kind of with think. yourself in that. I couldn't think, Ooh. you know, uh, you know, or I couldn't articulate. I could think, but I couldn't articulate the words, right? So I couldn't have this conversation with you. So it's paralyzing oh my as a gosh. communicator. I Like that's how I, I'm an author. I wrote four books. I'm a media, I was a media person. I had many TV shows, you know, I was like, oh, if I can't articulate words, then who am I? Oh my gosh. So you were fully with it mentally. Like your cognitive abilities were not impaired, but your, your ability to communicate your thoughts was. Yeah. And my thoughts were foggy also. My brain was foggy for, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It's all, you know, so funny because it's not funny. It's, it's beautiful because every time, you know, I, I grew up in Iraq. I, was I came to America when I was 19 years old. I was in an arranged marriage. My country was in a war. I couldn't see my family for nine years. Wow. My country was in another war and another war. And it just like the country is completely destroyed, which is heartbreaking mm-hmm. experience. And I say that because there was a lot of ups and downs in my life. Right. And I moved from like living in a very prosperous life in Iraq to very poor in America to them building Mm. it again to all of these things. And all of the ups and downs of my life taught me a few things, taught me that my misfortunes or generally misfortunes often lead us to our fortunes somehow, Mm. some way. Right. It leads us to another perspective on life and that it taught me to enjoy life altogether, you know, like the ups Mm. and the downs, like 
don't be melodramatic about it. Like, you know, feel it, experience it, but also make sure to see the beauty of all of life uh, collectively. So I live to be grateful. Okay, can we double tap into this for a second? Because given what I know about your life experience of, to your point, you know, at 19, you moved to a brand new country, you left a certain life behind, there was war, there was conflict, there was a lot of trauma and not only is that your lived experience, but then you went on to found this organization that probably exposed you not only to your own trauma that you couldn't escape or choose, but you then built a life where you're like knowingly stepping into trauma for women all across the globe, injustice of kind of the highest degree. So I'm interested. I think there's like, I think there's this kind of popular thought right now the phrase toxic positivity comes to mind. Have you heard of this phrase before? Tell me more. Toxic positivity is this idea. It's like this critique on a culture that doesn't allow for grief and reality and being in a hard place that it's, I think it means, or when I, when I hear people use it, like, you're just trying to like, look at the silver lining all of the time. And that's really, that's toxic. Like we have to, we have to create space for the hard sides of life. And now I'm talking to somebody who, you know, not to rank your experience, but like, I don't know, my guess would be you represent probably 1% of the global population with just your own lived experience and exposure to really horrible injustices that are happening all across the globe. And yet, you are saying and you're telling us that one of your your experiences and your takeaway from life is that even these great injustices and traumas, that there can be beauty and light and calling in those things. Will you help us? Is this something that you've kind of wrestled through of like, or do you ever find that people push back and say like, no, you're like, you're you're jumping too quickly to the positive or trying to put a positive spin on it? I'm just... I'm just interested in hearing this because I don't think anybody could accuse you of being someone who hides from hard things or who just buries their head in the sand and is like, I'm just going to manifest my own destiny. It's all positive and awesome. And like, because you seem to be somebody that really says like, no, this is real and we're going to dive in. And yet there's beauty and light everywhere. Absolutely. It's true. Well, first of all, thank you. I don't think I'm one of the the top one person. There's a lot of people who do go through a lot and, and still come out of it from... I think where I came out of it. But few things. First of all, I believe in expressing all emotions. Mm. I don't have judgments of any emotions, mm. most definitely mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. I mm. have no shyness of my tears and my sorrows mm. or my anger and my fears, nor my love or laughter. I embrace them all. Mm. And those who know me the most, they see like I go fully like, yeah. When I cry, I really give it a good cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm angry, I could be scary. And when I'm loving, I am all in absolutely loving. You know, it's like, so I think I do believe in expressing the all emotions, mm-hmm. right? That is not about not expressing the emotions, nor about not letting myself feel it or express mm-hmm. it to others, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like uh, jumping through things or covering things yeah. under the uh, rug. And everywhere, everywhere, and I tear up thinking that, Mm. and every experience I have been through, the hardest, there was always the beauty right next to the ugliness of Mm. life. Mm -hmm. Always. You know, I'm living and I'm working in the middle of Congo. A horrible, I mean, like, gosh, it says like this is a country that just that the violence has not stopped and not because of the people themselves, because so many external powers keep on like just creating so much damages. Right. And yet there is absolute beauty of human mm-hmm. resilience, you know, mm-hmm. like right mm-hmm. in front of you or even nature right in front of you, you know, and it's just like they always, in my opinion, coexist. Yeah. And always, even in the darkest circumstances. And it's like we have a choice. It's like a journalist in Bosnia way back when I started my career at Founding Women for Women International. He said, war shows you the worst act of humanity and it shows you the best mm. act of humanity. Mm. Yeah. And I just 
happen to see that, witness that. I'm grateful that I see that. Even, you know, and I saw it in wars. Wars are just microcosm, in my opinion, of peace. It's just you experience life in a shorter period of time and more mm. intensely, Yeah. right? While in peace, we sort of, it's extended time in which we experience the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly, you know? So war just shows me that. But even as I was dying in the hospital room, I remember listening to some music. It was like, wow, humans created that music. How beautiful. Mm. Like, mm. what a beautiful thing we create. Like, you mm. know, so it's just a choice, in my opinion, whether we go only talk about the negative or see the negative and try to do something about it, but also appreciate the positive, yeah. you know, and allow and not judge ourselves for any of the emotions or frankly, not judge others when they are expressing the emotions for us, yeah. you know? So yeah. sometimes when I express my emotions, I censor myself, mm. you know, this is my weakness. When you're going to ask me about the uh, mistakes, mistakes always when I do not express myself fully or I start mm. doubting myself as opposed to take my space, Take it and know there are going to be people who are maybe overwhelmed or criticize it or whatever. But just for me, I need to be in ownership and in alignment with myself and in integrity yeah, yeah. to myself. And that is expressing what I'm feeling fully at that moment, right? Mm, so if others yeah. are expressing that, it's my duty to hold that space for them as well. Mm. Anyway, I hope I answered uh, your question for you. Yeah, your answer reminded me, I can't remember who said this, but there's the quote about the well of joy and sorrow, like the deeper we dig the well, that that's actually that holds both of our grief and our joy. And that when we try to protect ourselves from grief, we're actually creating this shallow well of emotion. And so, and I think specifically, I'll speak to the American context that I'm most familiar with. I think a lot of Americans put a lot of time and energy into creating a life that is as comfortable and easy and quote unquote happy as possible. That's like kind of sanitized and away from grief and sorrow. And we spend a lot of time and money thinking about how to avoid bad things and keep them from touching us. I mean, there's whole, you know, there's entire industries that are built around that belief or, or kind of that human desire to want to not experience pain. And yet you meet a lot of people who are deeply lonely, who also are not experiencing deep levels of joy and fulfillment and gratification. And I have to believe that there's a correlation to that when we try to protect ourselves from all negative feelings or hard things that we're actually, we're not growing our capacity to also hold really deep, quote unquote, positive emotions. I don't think they're actually positive and negative emotions, but the emotions that we associate with being positive, you know, happiness and fulfillment and wonder and delight and all of those things. So I love, I love your word to us of if you want to be a person of deep joy and gratitude, you also kind of have to be a person that allows yourself to feel the whole spectrum of emotion and to have your heart break and to not, you know, put your head in the sand and ignore hard, painful things, but to fully lean into that and somehow in the fully leaning into that, also holding the truth that joy and grief are both and. That is so beautifully said there is i will just put one touch of cherries on top of what this beautiful <laughs> summary that you said it actually in wisdom there's a sufi poem and sufi is a 13th century i mean it's a it's a mystic it's the mysticism of islam and and i am a muslim and says oh break my heart mm. oh break my heart again so i can love even more wow. and i really couldn't understand it for the longest mm. i was like what are they talking about break my heart so i can love even more mm. and i live I come to live a moment where I understand mm -hmm. that in the heartbreak, we can either close mm -hmm. or we can expand our heart. Mm -hmm. And I do believe it's our choice. I really believe it's each individual yeah. choice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To either close up to love and close up to joy mm -hmm. or just expand it and just say, wow, mm -hmm. wow. So anyway. Well, coming from somebody who has shown with their life that choice over and over again. We will heed the wisdom in that. Will you take <laughs> us back, though? I want to learn more. Okay, so at 19, you moved to America from Iraq and fleeing war, and you're here. You've left one 
type of life where it sounds like you had more privilege and opportunity and you come to America and you have a very different existence. Will you just like take us back to that season of life? And at what point lead us up to the moment where you decided to launch Women for Women International? Well, I lived a very privileged life in Iraq, partially because my family knew Saddam Hussein closely, the then dictator of the country. Um, and the reason I came to America is my parents were worried about me from him, from his gazes. And that's how I oh, came to gosh. the States in a marriage to basically just get me out of his eyes as my mother feared. Um, okay, when you say, fearing. sorry if I'm being like base here, but when you say to get you out of his eyes, like had his eyes on you for like marriage for what? Rev- Saddam is like a dictator. for violence what's yeah like what was that what do you mean he had his eyes on you well in that time one and i would say most dictators or authoritarian leaders or frankly bully leaders as yeah. we see in the you know uh me too movement the same yeah. patterns yeah. if they want yeah. you they take mm. you. And it's no different than Harvey Weinstein or, or others yeah. uh, in, in, in any industry. The bullies who basically yeah. I'm, a pos- I'm in a position of power and I get to do whatever I want to get to do yeah. with you. Right. And wow. so that is, you know, so noting that my mom, noting that he may have a liking, that's what just freaked her out. And I was, you know, um, it, it's a complicated story. I have my whole memoir on it. And it's called Between Two Worlds. And that describes everything that happened. But that's how I came here. And it was an arranged marriage. And it, I came from a very liberal family, very secular family. And my mom always told me, like, you have to choose whatever, you know, you choose whoever you want to spend your life with. And suddenly this progressive mother telling me, please accept this marriage. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what? Didn't you tell me I should make my choices in life? And she's like, crying and saying, begging me oh and to accept it. And ultimately I accepted just to honestly, to help her stop crying. Cause I, you know, mm. so again, it's an example, like we, we judge cultures from a, a different perspective and it's like, oh, you were in arranged marriage. I was like, no, 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 I wasn't forced. Just my mother was crying a lot. <laughs> I could still say no. And my father was saying, no, it was my mother, but that's how I mm. came here. Okay. And within two, within a month and a half of arriving here, Iraq invaded Kuwait. My family had to go just before to Iraq. And I was cut off from my family for nine years where I could not see them. And the husband they married me to was an abusive husband, a sexually abusive husband. And I knew that I am not to tolerate any abuse by anybody. That was Mm. my teachings from my parents. So I escaped from the marriage three months later with $400 in my pocket, vowing that I will build my life from zero in here, but I am not to tolerate this abuse. And and that's how I stayed, end up staying in America, basically. And within, it's a long story about, you know, how I end up staying, but, you know, basically worked my, you know, from the beginning. And within three years, within two years, two and a half years, I fell in love for this time with a guy on my own choice. Mm. And there was the war in Bosnia. There were rape camps in Bosnia, concentration camps in Bosnia. And I grew up in war. I saw injustices in war. I just couldn't speak about it because, Mm. you know, it was illegal to speak about them. You Mm. could kill your Mm. family if you spoke about them. So when I came to America... And I was, and still this country provides something which is freedom, freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. priceless, mm-hmm. priceless for most of the world, particularly for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I can speak whatever I want to and no one will punish me for that. And so that's how I, you know, so I was for the first time saying that there's injustice I live in a country where it allows me to speak about it Mm. and it is my human responsibility to do something about it. Mm. And I still believe to this day, because now I'm working on climate, when we see injustice, it is our responsibility to do something about it, whether it is related to us or not related to us for avoiding it legitimize this injustice Mm -hmm. and corrupts our own values, Mm -hmm. right? Because we Mm -hmm. all think that we're good people. Mm -hmm. Now, we can't act on all injustice, choose whatever, because otherwise we will not, you know, we have to 
breathe and live and have joy in our lives. But choose, choose whatever it is that tickles your heart, basically, and say, mm-hmm. nope, this is mm-hmm. my line in here. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, that's how I started Women from International. I was 23 years old, a kid, just newly remarried, no money. My husband and I were both students. Our friends laughed at us, said, yeah, just go and get a job, buy a house, buy a car. And instead, we used whatever money we had saved up for our honeymoon, went to Croatia and started Women from International. 20 years later, actually, it's been exactly a few months short, 30 years later. Wow. Oh my God. I can't believe it. 30 years later. I left the leadership of the organization 20 years later, as I had set up to do from day one, because I do believe in rotating leadership and I do believe mm. in letting go and coming from a dictatorship. You know, we cannot criticize mm. anything if we are not willing to actually implement it in ourselves. In my opinion. So you would say even at 23, you were like, the whole point of this will be to eventually that I will not be the leader of this organization. From day one, that was like a vision that you had. Yeah, I I didn't say the whole point of this. At 23, I said, one is 20 years old, I shall leave it. Wow. So you even knew it. You gave yourself a 20 year. I gave a timeline. Yes, I gave a timeline and I said, I do not want to be one of those people who hold on to power and then bring my every structure that I brought with me down, Mm. (laughs) you know, because I've seen a lot of leaders grow, 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 grow something amazing. And then for whatever reasons, they said demolishing exactly what they built. And I did not want to be that. Right. I think having that on the front side, because so often I wish, I think, so I started an organization when I was 23 as well Ah, in the space of empowering women and human rights and sustainability, all these things. And I do think that in my early years, I associated this belief that I would do this for the rest of my life. It was less about power and more about commitment. And like, if this is really your life's calling, It almost felt like an unfaithfulness to the thing and to the cause to think about having a season of life where I wasn't all in. And I do think that that is a really powerful structure that you put up for yourself on the front side. It's so interesting we're having this conversation because literally this weekend I was in the car with my husband and I was just thinking about, okay, the average, if the average kind of like vocational life is about 45 years long, you know, give or take, depending on when you start and when you finish. And I was just like doing some simple math and thinking, okay, you divide 45 by three. It would be very interesting. What if we thought about our lives and our vocations in like 15 year chunks and segments was this kind of idea that I was mulling about? Because to me, 15 years feels like that's enough. That's a significant amount of time to make a real impact. I think being a millennial, And in this generation where the average person switches jobs like every two to three years, I feel resistant towards that because I think I believe deeply in commitment and being in something for the long haul and being willing to kind of go through the ups and the downs and the self-learning and growth that happens when you stick something out, even when it's really challenging. I just, I'm I'm a commitment. It's one of my core love languages. So I just deeply believe in commitment and being committed to one thing for a really long time for the outward effect, but also for the internal, the impact that it has on us as well. But kind of going like, wouldn't that change everything if we kind of saw our lives in chapters versus I think especially for young people setting out in their vocational goals. It's like, yeah, I I just think it's really interesting that from the outset you had, you had a timeline and you were like, I'm going to give everything that I can to this organization, but then there is life beyond that as well. And I don't have clarity onto what that is, but it, I wonder if that made the end of your time at that organization feel less like a death and more like an opening to a new chapter. That it's like, oh yeah, this was this was a thing that I gave my life to and now I'm it still felt like on to the next thing. <laughs> it did. It okay, let's talk like about that. Okay. I yeah, love what you're telling me. You're like, yeah, like no, it wouldn't be that simple, actually. That's so good. <laughs> I mean, I really <laughs> you're like that's a really that. that's cool. a really cute idea. Um, okay, tell us about that. Uh, here's like, the thing, why? because it's, there's some learning from it. I did set up that goal 20 years, right? And in the nonprofit sector, there is such a thing as founder syndrome, you know, where the founders mm. hold on and not uh, let go. And I studied that and I was like, I am not going to be that. And I did see 
role models that I loved their mm. leadership and they were older than me. And I saw how they actually brought what they built down as you, because you get older. It's not the age you evolve in your thinking. You start having new interests. You start wanting to develop you. So either you can grow with the entity that you build uh -huh. or uh -huh. at one point you choose to grow without impacting mm. that entity you want. So mm -hmm. there is no right or wrong answer, mm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a dictatorship and I'm overly sensitive yeah. about power, yeah. overly sensitive in a way that it created so interesting because when there are issues in our lives that we are obsessed about, and in correcting them, we may also go in the other direction, uh, right? So sure, sure, for sure. me, I was so oversensitive about power and leader that I was mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I don't want to be in a powerful position. No, 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 no. I don't want to be. I grew into the leadership. I did not mean to be a leader. Mm. I just wanted to help women in wars. Right. But every time that positioned me in a leadership position, I got scared because mm. I like I my my model for leadership and a lot of women, I would have to say, have that issue. I came to realize that there is a resistance to leadership because they think it's going to be patriarchal leadership, oppressive leadership. It's like, no, 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 I don't. So I was that, right? Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm babbling here, but sometimes you exaggerate in the thing. But sure. what I want to say to your point, it didn't change that I am a women's rights person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My loyalty to the cause is more than loyalty to the structure. Uh, yeah. That is, I'm going to die being a woman's rights uh, mm -hmm. activist, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. that is my calling in life. Mm -hmm. I tear up thinking about it. You know, mm -hmm. that's like to be there for marginalized voices. And I do believe women are ultimately still the most marginalized voices of all communities, right? We can divide it in, but still a marginalized voices, you know? So I will die for that. I expressed it in one structure, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And the way I expressed it before, lesson number two, is I poured it all in. I pushed the pedestal all in thinking I have 20 years to do it. Mm. So by the end of 20 years, if my soul was a rack, I had squeezed like a wet rack. Mm. I had squeezed every single ounce of liquid from it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the taste of life disappeared from uh, me. Mm. I reached to a point where I saw the world as flat, as in another city, another hotel room, another story, another, like, it's just like the, the mistake. Okay. Just because we are passionate about what we believe in, it does not mean we need to sacrifice every aspect of us. So I came to the belief that the cause does not require us to self-sacrifice. The cause does not require us to self. Here I was asking for fighting for women's rights and freedom for their mm -hmm. joy, for their mm -hmm. to do whatever, make a decision, whatever, whether for their freedom of choices, basically. And right. I was, I reached a point where I was miserable. I was sad. I was lonely. Ugh, so what's yeah. the point of fighting for something when you are no longer reflecting Ooh. what you're fighting about, right? And oh, the, that's, that's so really, good. That really, really taught me as I, you know, do another journey in life. This is my third journey in life right now with Daughters for Earth is to not feel guilty when I'm not working in the weekends or in the evening, not feel guilty when I'm having periods of I'm slowing down and doing some creative work, not feel guilty when I'm taking the middle of the day and going to see a museum or exhibit, not feel guilty, frankly, about anything in my life, because I know when I'm pushing, I'm going to give it all. But that's whatever I need, the kindness to myself and the love of myself. I need to fill my well and make sure it is filled always and not feel bullied by a culture that brags about how many hours we work and how we are present all the time and all of these things. And for God's sake, we live in a culture that even people judge you if you sleep more than eight hours a day. I'm like, what? <laughs> of course I sleep eight to nine and sometimes 10 hours a day. Like, are you kidding me? So like that is a discipline inside of me, you know, like because it's yeah. a bullying culture. Oh, yeah. I need to work in the weekend. I need to. No, 
And like it, the bully is inside of us. Mm -hmm. It's not because people are saying, because, you know, there is a mm -hmm. culture that is talking about it, but it's inside of us. Am mm -hmm. I working enough? Oh, no, no. Now I realize I need to keep my well full because when it's full, I give endlessly and brilliantly, I may say, if I have to say, yeah. right? Yes. But when my well is empty, I am sad. I am, ugh, I'm short with people. I'm impatient yeah. and I'm not, I'm not creative thinker where I was like, okay, I'm not a leader. I'm not a good leader when my fell, my, when, when my well is empty, but I'm a brilliant Ooh. one when it is full. That is good. I, one, I just love how the ease and confidence in which you're like, I'm a brilliant leader. When these things happen, I really appreciate because I think we need more, more women who are just casually saying, yes, I bring brilliance and I'm awesome at this and owning their power in that. But I also love, yeah, I love your reflection. I had a friend, this was a while ago when I was going through, I think similarly, that voice, It was yes, it's external culture, but I realized that I've internalized that. I had a friend that said he was like the way you talk to yourself he was like you're kind of like this like tiny mean drill sergeant and it's so interesting when you have somebody say that to you when it's like since it's my voice and I hear it all day every day hundreds of times an hour I'm like wait not everybody talks to themselves like that wait this isn't you know when when someone from the outside kind of points something out and you're like oh I don't identify as having a tiny mean drill sergeant that's bossing me around all day but now that you're calling it out but I had another friend who was talking about the difference between sacrifice and exploitation and the way that they framed it was this idea that sacrifice sounds more like what you're describing when you're protecting yourself and your peace, and your joy, and your filling up, then out of that, you're able to sacrifice in ways that are good for you. I'm giving out, and I'm pouring out, but I'm doing that in a way that is in overall alignment with also loving myself and taking care of myself. I won't look back and regret a sacrifice. And then he was like, and then there's exploitation. And self-exploitation can often look like sacrifice. And we love to like praise people who are super sacrificial. But what exploitation is, is when you are actually giving out of an empty well, when you are giving out of a place that feels more like exploitation and demands, whether that's of somebody else. Because I think so often I hear of exploitation and I think, oh, that's somebody in a position of power doing that to somebody, you know, in lower authority. Somebody, somebody else externally exploits you and realizing that I can exploit myself, that I can, mm. I can have demands on myself that require or ask of me to give something to the point where it's like, it's no longer healthy and it's no longer beneficial for me and therefore anybody that I'm around. And I think for me, one of the questions that I've been asking myself is around regret of going, I think if sacrifice is good and right, then you don't regret it. I think when you tip into self-exploitation, you look back and say, I went too far and I gave too much. And it, Ultimately, it didn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit the organization. It doesn't benefit the world when we reach into that into that space of self-exploitation. And I just love your thought. Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. Right on. Exactly. And it's not only organizations. We see it in companies' leadership. We see it. I mean, I think that culture that we're talking about where, you know, people go down from their leadership because they bullied someone, all of that. Some people are really patriarchal and, you know, and bullies. But I also know, I must say, good leaders, mm. you know, effective leaders, female leaders who also got down because a moment they had or an expression they had and all of these things, right? Where they, it offended mm. um, their teams or bullied it, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at that and before I was like, you know, it's not a, this is not you know, this is not a black and white issues, you know, that when we are not taking care of ourselves and constantly staying in center, right? We do slip. We do slip. You know, we are impatient. We're angry or whatever it is. Whatever. Each person have their own shadow. And that can destroy everything we built. Mm -hmm. Everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So you took it, you took it about exploitations and sacrifice. I'm saying if we... It's a necessity right now for me to stay centered mm. in myself because I can lose my leadership, my voice, my credibility, my everything if I am not centered. 
all the time. Mm. As much of the time. I, it's impossible to make it all the time, right? Sure. So, yeah. you know, and I have my, you know, I call it my seven rules for a happy day. My seven rules for a happy day. Everyone, you know, and for me is I have to drink a lot of water. I like to eat healthy. I must do something in nature. I must have an mm. appointment with my heart which means mm. my meditation, but mm. I call it an appointment with my heart. I mm. check on family and friends. I do something in the art and I do my purpose. These are my seven rules. I make sure it's my discipline to do them every day. Every day. You're committed right? to that. Or yeah. can't, I was like, you know, if I don't meditate, I was like, I'm so sorry, my heart. I didn't meditate today, mm. but I, I didn't forget because they help me center myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is my permission, and I like it's like this is a must. This is part of my work. This is part of my identity. This is part of my leadership that I must take that discipline, right, and not I feel guilty that. about it. And also, I love that you're integrating it every single day. I think so often it can be like, okay, well, I'll take a sabbatical once every seven years, <laughs> or I'll do a two day, even once a quarter. But to say I'm actually going to choose these things that aren't rocket science, but by committing to these relatively small acts of kindness to yourself every single day, that that is how you've learned to kind of create an overall sense of balance and wellness so that you don't get to that place where you're completely, I mean, frankly, what it you know sounds like you were saying is like kind of dead inside and dead to the world and dead to the work that you were doing because you were just so exhausted and exploited and burnt out. Exactly. Exactly. And I used to do it once a year and once a quarter. I used to do that, right? I was like, uh-huh. uh, go to okay. a retreat yeah. and I yeah. kill myself. And then I come uh-huh. three, three months later, I'm like dead again. And it took <laughs> me a lot of trials and errors to realize, oh, I need to do this every day in order to keep my well-fill, you know, every single day. That's so good. I love that. I, I really, I'm going to walk away from this. And my work is going to be to come up with, what did you call it? My daily seven? Or did you have a name for it? Seven seven rules for a happy day. I, it's very important. Not happy life, happy day. Yes. Life has ups and downs. It has yep. a sad day. It has a frustrating day. It has, you know, uh, you know I call it ha- content life. Not mm. happy, content. Which is, okay. if a sad day comes, I was like, oh, it's a sad day. Let me go into the sadness. Let me learn yeah. from that sadness yeah. rather than resist it and be worried about it. And so the next day you're content. Like even in the sadness, you're not paralyzed or panic. Oh my God, I'm sad, I'm sad. You're just like, okay, so content yes. life. Happiness yes. is a momentarily feeling. So mm-hmm. happy mm-hmm. day. I can only secure that in my day. <laughs> I love that. And there's small things that makes me happy, you know? Drinking lots of water makes me happy, you know. Mm-hmm. When I get walk in nature is very important for me, right? So why they're important? If something happens at work, I'm frustrated, whatever. I walk 34, whatever, an hour and I processed it. The trees have helped me mm-hmm. process it. The, mm-hmm. Whatever animals I see in the in the trail, it helped me process it. And within the hour, I'm like, oh, Life is good. It's all good. Let's move on, you know, as opposed to like going on and on and oh my God, this colleague said that I'm this bad, da, 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 da. you know, and like you just process it, you learn, you move on. Okay, finish. Ah, oh, that's so good. I love that. Well, I know I'm going to end this episode and the next thing that I'm going to do, here's what I'm committing by the end of the day. Because this is what I love about this exercise. It's not, again, I think I could come up with seven things. I don't have to sit and think about this for the next three months. I think in my soul, I know seven things for a content, healthy life for myself. I just need to write them down. And then I need to commit to them and start building that rhythm. But I love, love, love that encouragement of like, don't wait. And don't wait until so often we don't deal with this until we're past the point of no return where it's like I wake up and I'm, you know, I hear we've had so many people on this show whose bodies have literally just given out because it's like, I mean, they're, they are so beyond their own healthy capacity that their bodies are literally just like peace. And whether it is some random virus or a heart condition or half their face is paralyzed or, They've lost the ability to communicate. It's almost like our body is just being like, if you won't stop, I will stop you. And I think your encouragement to us, we don't have to wait until we get to that point that we can actually say, 
take small steps. Every great journey begins with a small step. I might change that to every great journey begins with seven small steps. <laughs> seven small steps it. to a contented <laughs> life. I actually, my I mean, when, when my almost died, I was at the peak of my career. I was at a peak moment in my mm. career, but I didn't do these rules, right? And, right. you know, now I'm like, uh, don't let the success seduce you. And you're doing this uh, and you're doing this and you're yeah. doing this. It's like, and we forget ourselves, like, uh, make sure that despite the success or the failure, stay consistent in showing kindness and love to yourself mm. and to others. I mean, that to others will happen automatically. Once you learn how to show it to yourself. Mm, that's so good. Will you share with our listeners, what are you working on now? Where can we find you? How can we get involved with the work that you're doing? Oh, I'm so excited about what I'm working on. So I co-founded a group called Daughters for Earth, which is to mobilize $100 million for women who are doing climate actions. And it's I find it amazing that the biggest crisis facing humanity, climate change, Again, exclude women from the discussion. And yet women are doing a lot of work in protecting and preserving land mm. and water, regenerative agriculture, renewable energy. We don't hear their voices. We mm. do not support them. And we do not know for those of us who are like me, who I'm not a scientist or not a farmer, you know, I do not want, know what to do. So Daughters for Earth is A, put more money and more resources uh, into the hands of women who are doing things, warriors for Earth, and B, give tools and resources for everyday women, for every one of us to know what can we do, how to learn the science in a basic way, and mm. how can we change our lives and our community. So Woo! two basic goals. Yes, and um, it's so exciting for me because I believe that this century needs to be the feminine century. You know, and though the feminine does not exclude men, it does include the leadership of women. And mm -hmm. we are to rise not only with our actions, but with our values this time. Mm, that's and that's so the difference. Good. We are to rise not only with our actions, but with our values. And these are values of our hearts and not what you call it, uh, only inherited values, values mm. that are truest to our hearts. And, and I do believe that we can show the world, we women and all genders, of course, but I do not at all exclude men in that process. But I do feel like we need to all show up in all our values and our actions. Daughtersforearth.org For our community, go to the website, learn more. I love the idea that you guys are focusing on education and kind of inviting folks in to this journey. And so we look forward to staying in touch and looking at the work that you are doing. But thank you so much for taking care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of others and the beautiful legacy that you are leaving. Ooh, that was a joyful conversation. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I learned a lot from you. This podcast was made possible in part by my amazing producers at Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can visit me at lizbohannon.co or you can follow both of us on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon and they're at Human Group Media and we love, love, love hearing from our plucky audience. Well, until next time, stay plucky. Stay plucky.